This episode of the Prairie Track and Field Podcast is brought to you by Cedic Run. I love and hate to say it, but cross-country season is coming up soon. If you've been slinging miles on the same pair of trainers all summer, it's probably time for a new pair. With a wide variety of top brands to choose from, you'll certainly find a pair that meets your needs at SDR. And if you need a new pair of spikes, look no further as Cedic Run has got you covered. You can find all these items and so much more at Cedic Run, located in downtown Grand Forks. This past weekend was the USATF Championships in Eugene, Oregon. There were plenty of great performances. We had a great time watching it. I hope you did too. And included in those phenomenal performances were a few by North Dakota athletes. First of all, Madeline Strandamo, a Fargo South grad, earned a spot in the women's steeplechase final. It was the first time in her career that she'd qualified for a final at a U.S. Championships meet. While maybe didn't go quite the way she wanted to, she hung on top for the first half. And it was awesome to see her back after kind of a crazy season last season with injuries and ups and downs to be able to make a final and go out there and compete. So congrats to you, Madeline. Also, we saw Shelby Frank of Grand Forks, who placed fifth at the U.S. Championships in the women's discus. She did the same thing last season. She finished fifth on a really stacked field, came out and was able to do it again after a long redshirt season this outdoors. Her efforts also earned her a spot on Team USA's U23 team. That's going to be heading to Costa Rica for the NACAC Championships later this summer. So Shelby, congrats and thanks to everybody that participated in our bucket hat challenge. Uh, shout out to Ian Bush, our winner in the contest. He closely corrected Shelby's distance that she threw in the discus and earned himself a bucket hat. So uh, congrats to you, Ian. But more importantly, congrats to you, Shelby. And then finally, Peyton Otterdahl. On his second throw of the competition, Peyton threw 22.09 meters in the shot pit which was good enough to earn him a third place finish in one of the deepest U.S. shot put fields ever. He becomes only the 30th man in world history to throw over the 22 meter barrier. And not only does he have those accolades to his name, but he's also earned himself a spot on Team USA for the World Championships in Budapest later this summer. Cam and I had the opportunity to catch up with Peyton and hear about his journey to earning another U.S. jersey because if you look back on last season, the 2021 Olympian, had a tough go of it. He ultimately ended up needing to get surgery on his hip to repair a torn labrum, and he's battled back so well, putting together a consistent season and setting himself up well to go to Budapest and compete for a medal. So we were able to catch up with Peyton, we sat down for an interview, got to hear a little bit about his journey back, the competition itself, and as always, Peyton's such a good interview, so he shared so many other interesting and fun stories as well. And we had a great time getting to catch up with our old teammate, um, and we're super excited for him to see what he can do later this summer. Thanks for listening. As always, support us with sharing our posts on social media, spreading the word, and for your continued downloads and listens. You can also help us out by purchasing one of our bucket hats, uh, our signature summer item for 2023. You can find the link to the order form on our social media pages or reach out to us. We'll make sure to get it to you. But enough about us. It's time to dive into another episode of the Prairie Track and Field Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Prairie Track and Field Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Enerson. And I'm your other host, Cameron Rail. 
And today we're beyond excited because we have a very special guest. He's an Olympian, uh, a world champs qualifier, NCAA champion. Man, what am I forgetting? Uh, father to Doobie, uh, Peyton Otterdahl. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's nice to always come back with my my old college teammates and talk to a little bit of track and field. For sure. Okay, first question, like kind of track related, kind of not. So, you know, when you go to college and they're like, don't leave anything from your high school resume that's still on there, like update it. Do you like at what point do we drop NCAA champion and do we just go, you know, pro shot putter, Olympian, world champs qualifier? I don't know. Uh, we'll see. We'll have to see. Maybe maybe next year, maybe the year after that. We have to see how these next couple of years go with the majors and everything. I would say that I I mean, being Olympian is fantastic and everything, but uh, I'd say maybe once you're a medalist, people will stop calling you uh, NCAA champ. So fingers crossed. That was a good question, Ryan. I'd never thought about that. You know, I, I'm i still able to call myself a zero-time state champion, and I'm I'm proud of that. But, uh, you know, that's my – I can hang on to that high school stat, but <laughs> – yeah, <laughs> so yeah, go ahead. You were uh... – you're telling us a little bit about travels, but you're back in Lincoln now. But just tell us for the people that didn't catch the story before we started recording, you had a little bit of difficulty getting out to Eugene. Yeah, I mean, as we were seeing in the news, there was a lot of flight cancellations with United. They were I don't know exactly what was going on, but they were having a ton of issues. So uh, a lot of my friends that were heading out to Eugene for net for USA's, they kept telling me that their flights were getting delayed or outright canceled. Um, even Trevor, the day before I was supposed to get out there, my brother, he got canceled out of Fargo, um, headed to Denver and then Eugene. So I was a little nervous for that, but I figured, you know, there's been so many cancellations. Maybe they won't cancel out of Omaha because it's, it's the biggest airport, at least in the, in the state here in Nebraska. But uh, right when I was getting ready to drive up to Omaha, we got a text that the flight was canceled outright, uh, started worrying a little bit, but we immediately checked the Lincoln Airport to see what there was. And there was one flight left that was headed to Denver, which is where our original connection was. And there was just like a few spots left on that flight. So we were able to switch over, get on that plane, and that one was able to take off and make it to Denver for our connection. So. We played it a little close this year. Probably should have left for Eugene a little earlier than Friday when I competed Sunday, but uh, it all worked out. So, Peyton, I, I saw a lot on social media and stuff. You know, people love Eugene for, you know, the history and obviously the facilities are great, but there's there's kind of a, you know, an argument going on. Is Eugene really the best place for USA's? You know, does the history outweigh the convenience of, you know, cause it's not an easy place to get, uh, to get to, um, what are your thoughts on, on all that? It's definitely hard to get to Eugene and it is expensive to get there, but I mean, at the end of the day, it is my favorite place to compete in the U S I might be a little bit biased because I've thrown now two personal bests there at really important, uh, really important meets when it mattered but uh i love that facility there and i love the town uh the weather is just like perfect it's not it's not too humid or hot but it's not too cold and um the food in eugene is fantastic as well which for me as a thrower is a really big deal i mean i I care about how good the food is where i go to compete 
So uh, I love competing there. I do wish that somehow it was a little bit cheaper to get there because I think that I spent probably eleven, twelve hundred dollars competing yeah. there this past weekend at USA. So it's it's expensive, um, and but it's it, it always makes for a great meet there. Everyone loves the Hayward Magic. Yeah. So two questions. Number one, best spots to eat in Eugene. But then also, if you could have like one or two other cities that could host U.S. champs, where would you have them? My favorite place to eat in Eugene is, I'm pretty sure it's a chain. I just learned it's a chain that they have it in other cities, but I haven't been to them. But it's a little sandwich shop called Cheba Hut. It's it's a marijuana themed restaurant. I'm not even joking. Like the sandwich that you get, if you want the biggest full size sandwich, the size you order is called a blunt. And I, I actually, the first time I went in there, I had to ask them, I'm like, there's nothing in this sandwich, right? Nothing that's going to make me fail a drug test. And they say, no, no, it's all just the theme of the restaurant. But I mean, I'm a big sandwich guy and they make just phenomenal sandwiches. So I always make sure to go there and eat. Uh, and as for that second question, uh, two cities that I think would be a good place to host. Um, I mean, I always like at least this time of year, I think that Drake is a really good place to host it. They had it there in, um, 2019 and 2018 and, uh, in, in June, it's great. And even in July, maybe not so much for the Drake relays in April, <laughs> But yeah. I think that that's a pretty good city for everyone to get to. I mean, I'm, I have bias because I live in the Midwest again, but that would be a great spot. And I know that there's not really any major meets these days that happen in Chicago, but I think that would be a great place to go for, for a U.S. champs. There's no bigger centrally located area. It's mm -hmm. so easy to get there. Every airport in the U.S. probably has a direct flight there. Um I just don't know if there's a, a good track there, but I think that there could be. I mean, that mm -hmm. city's it's got a lot of money there. They could probably get to get get together and get a really nice track put up. Uh, and I don't think anyone have any complaints about getting there because it'd just be super easy. Right. And I mean, it's the same thing like Midwest in the summer. You really can't beat it. Um, dude, do you remember 2018 U.S. champs? Cam and I gave you a ride home because Coach Larson <laughs> left you. Yep, I remember that. <laughs> Was that when your first USA champs as like a, yeah, your first USAs? Yeah, that was the very first one. I didn't so, make the final and I did not throw very well at all, but it was still a great experience. Did, I mean, I'm sure you had goals to be, you know, back then you had the goals to be, you know, where you are now, but just comparing those two didn't make the final had to get a ride home. Like your coaches <laughs> abandoned you in Des Moines, Iowa and had to get a ride home with your teammates versus now, you know, you're headed to your second world, uh, or like, uh, yeah, world competition, you know, Olympics and then the world's here, uh, in Hungary. Like, is that, is that mind blowing to you or is that just like, yeah, it was just a matter of time. No, I mean, every once in a while, I definitely look back and see like, it's crazy to think how far, I've come as an athlete and, you know, how far even the sport has come. It's just been crazy. Um, I'd never thought that I would be anywhere near, obviously, like I think every athlete, like their highest aspirations is to make that Olympic team is to make that world team. That's the, that's the pinnacle of our, of where our sport can go. So every, I think every track athlete wants to make it there. 
but I didn't think that that was even a, a reality probably until my fifth year. Like, obviously I had hoped that it would happen, but it just, that end goal just seemed so far out of reach, but I, you know, kept working hard, trying to get better, really just taking it one day at a time. And eventually was able to make enough progress luckily. And, you know, there's definitely a, a lot of luck that happens in this sport, you know, whether it be injuries or just, you know, the stars aligning, you get with a great coach or have a great training environment. I just have been very fortunate and lucky to, to have the stars aligned for me. I haven't had too, too many major uh, injuries, uh, been able to stay relatively healthy throughout my career and just uh, having a good work ethic and just, you know, taking it one day or one week at a time to just try to be better than the previous week. I want to oh, go, go ahead, Ryan. I, we're probably going to ask the same question. Go ahead, Ryan. Okay. I want to know what classifies as a major injury considering yes. you just had yes. a hip labral surgery this last season. Like what, what do you have to do for a major injury? <laughs> I mean, I guess I would call that a major injury, but I've only had one major injury that requires surgery. So to me, I consider that lucky. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm, and I'm very, again, very fortunate that the surgery went really, really well. I was in great hands with Dr. Philippon at the Stedman clinic in Vail, uh, Colorado, and they did a, just a tremendous job. Um, Justin St. Clair, my coach, his wife, Kelly, she did my PT here in Lincoln. Wow. So she did a fantastic job rehabbing me. I have a lot of people to thank. And again, luck on my side that uh, the healing process went just, I would say, pretty close to perfectly. I didn't try to rush to get back to the sport. I, I took my time and, and did everything as I was told by the specialists and was able to put together a good plan to be ready to throw far when it mattered. Was that is that a difficult uh, thing for you to do is just kind of follow the the advice of of the specialists or do you feel like you're pretty disciplined in that uh, aspect? I think that I am. I don't know what the word would be. Like I know what I don't know, and so I'm not going to pretend yeah. that I know what's best. Like obviously, I know how my body feels, and I give lots of feedback back to the doctors, back to Kelly and the other PTs. Um, but I trust wholeheartedly what they have to say. And I'm going to stick to that. I'm not going to like pretend that they don't know what they're doing. Like this is their specialty. So I, I listen to them. I, and I do exactly as they tell me. And, and that just ended up working out perfectly for the recovery back. How did you adjust like changing your goals coming into coming out of the injury then? It was tough, but I knew they I, they gave me a window that when I could start and expect to compete again, which was they told me May, but the the me that I really wanted to be back for was Drake Relays because you know that's that's a really special one in my heart. I've been going there every year since 2015. That's the one that almost my whole family is able to make it out to because it's so close to Minnesota, um, and as well as Maddie's family too in Iowa. So. Um, I knew that I wanted to be back for that. I know it's just like a few days before May. So like it's, it's within the window and it was not like I did anything crazy to make that meet, but I knew that I had that window and I just kind of took it. I took it one week at a time. Every week I wanted to be a little bit better than last week. And I had a ton of time to have it done. The surgery was done in September and I started throwing again in January. Like as soon as I got back from, uh, I guess it was, our winter break for 
the semester. Once once all the the Husker athletes were training again after that, that's when I started training and taking throws. And I just took it one week at a time. I had started super easy with stand throws without any like reverses or anything, just not trying to throw far, just trying to get the movement to look nice. And then the next week I would add a couple more elements to it and, and so on and so forth for the next few months. I would just keep adding a little bit more and more. If anything was hurting my hip in any way, I would dial it back, make sure that that was getting healthy first and foremost. And then uh, just kind of pushing what I could do every week. I mean, I, I, I definitely took it easy. Like I was, I was obviously working hard, but like taking it easy on the hip, I guess is what I meant. Like I did not push my hip past what it was capable of at any time. I, I wanted to make sure that it healed right because a lot of the, you know, I'm, I've become friends with a lot of former Olympians as well who've gone through this same thing. And the, all of them told me, don't rush it. You don't want to rush like these major injuries because oftentimes if you rush it too much after a surgery or something like that, you'll be worse off than you were before. So I did not want to screw anything up. So I took it super easy on the hip, on the, on the recovery. And, uh, but it was like very steady progress. Every, I could say like every week was better than the previous for my recovery. How did you determine like where to get the surgery done? Because I know in, you know, other sports you hear like shopping around and, you know, they maybe settle on Dr. James Andrews and he's the one that does all the Tommy Johns. Like, is this guy, is he in Vail? Is he just known for labral tears or how did you get in contact with him? Yeah. Uh, being in the tiered track and field system last year, I was able to get my health insurance through them. So USATF took care of the whole thing for me. They got me in contact with uh, this Dr. Philippon and Vale. And after like the initial consultations with him and going out there and talking to him and explaining the procedure, he's literally the guy who invented the procedure that they do for this hip uh, labrum repair in the entire world. He goes around the world and he shows doctors how to do it. And he invented it. I even had to sign a form uh, because a lot of what they do is so like cutting edge and new. He invented all of the tools they use for the surgery. He invented the entire procedure. So I had to sign a form like saying like, okay, this is kind of a, a, I'm okay that it's a conflict of interest for this doctor because he invented everything that was with it. Like that's (laughs) how he was. So um yeah, he did. They they put me in like the best hands in his office. There's so many uh, pictures of other Olympians across the sports, NFL players, NHL, like any professional sport you can think of. And he did their labrum surgery. So he was the best of the best. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's I mean, not, cool. not cool that you got hurt, but like, you know, you know what I mean? Well, I truly give him a lot of credit. I mean, obviously he's the, he's the surgeon, he's the doctor that did everything, but like he did it just perfectly. It went perfect. Now, obviously the injury last year, the road to recovery, I think what's still so impressive for me uh, is just like you've done, you've, you've qualified for another world team, but the circumstances have just like been so different. You come off a major injury You've got a like relatively still new training environment down at Nebraska. You've been there for a few seasons now. Um, you the sponsorship change, like so much has changed in the last couple of years. What have been some of the consistence that you've been able to lean on during that time? 
Uh, at the end of the day, I'm still throwing the same weight ball and trying to make it go far. So um, for me, it's just like, it's not about like, it's not been about winning any meets or um, the titles. Obviously, I want to make teams. That's like the most important goals that I have are to make teams and represent the U.S. But in a sport where the tape measure theoretically has no end, there's always room to make myself better. Um, there's always room for improvement. So that to me is like so rewarding in this sport that knowing if I throw a personal best, that's the best I've ever been in this sport. And there's always room for improvement. So I feel like I've just been able to like have those same goals and try to follow them. Like, even though things have changed since I was in college, um, there's a lot that hasn't. And my goals have been one of those. So that makes the motivation for continuing easy. Yeah. And I mean, one, one constant, I guess that I noticed you still got your brothers there, you know, throwing with you. Um, just talk about that a little bit. Uh, I don't know if it, it might've been in your Instagram post or I don't know where I saw it, but it was like name another sport where there's like three brothers competing, you know, at the highest level at the exact same time. So just talk about what that means uh, to you. Yeah, that was one of my one of my favorite things about competing at this U.S. Champs is because this is the first and only one that Trevor and Max both made it uh, there as well. So we were all there, and it was kind of unexpected because Trevor, he, they this year for uh, USATF they they decreased the field size for these field events, so it went from eighteen to sixteen, and Trevor came in seventeenth. Like right when the windows closed and he declared just hoping that he might get in, but uh, it was looking like he was going to be 17th out of 16, but another hammer thrower, they did not declare for injury or whatever else reason. And he was able to squeak into that last 16th spot. So that was super awesome because I wasn't expecting him to be there. Um, And I was very glad that he was Max. I knew that he was in pretty, pretty solidly so that he would be there. Um, but just being in that same comp, like I've only thrown with Max as a professional, like in a professional meet twice. It was Drake this year and now uh, at USA's this past weekend. So that was super fun to be able to just cheer him on and, you know, hope for the best. Unfortunately for them, it wasn't their best result of the year. I know that it's really tough as a, as a collegiate to, you know, be competing since January and to still have a little bit more juice to try to peak for this meet too. It's just, it's too tough. And you, it's pretty rare to see those collegiate guys just do exceptionally well at this meet. So I'm still proud of them nonetheless in the seasons that they had. Um, I think that this is it for Trevor as a hammer thrower. He's got bigger and better things as an actuary. He'll be making probably double or triple my salary (laughs) in no time. And Max, he is training with me down here at Nebraska. He actually, is on the uh, U23 NACAC team that's going to oh, be great. coming up here in Costa Rica in a couple weeks. So he's getting to get to compete with the USA across his chest, his first team that he's made, and I'm excited for him there. Um, and then next year, he's got another year in Nebraska, so I'll still be training along with him next year as we get ready for the Olympics season. Cool. Do you ever do you ever watch back like the the broad the TV broadcasts of uh of the meets 
No, because I don't have any of like the the channels. All I see is what people send me. So, oh, okay. uh, like the clip that I posted on Instagram the other day, somebody sent me that, and I I was able to repost it for that. But I never get to see the like the whole broadcast for our event. Well, maybe somebody sent you a clip, but I swear every time that they're on the shot put and it works out that they they show your throw, they always make this comment and they say, "Oh, this is." Peyton Otterdahl, one of three, you know, very successful thrower brothers. And believe it or not, he's the runt of the family. And I'm just like, <laughs> oh my, you know, when you hear it every, I, I don't know if that, if that's a big deal for you or not, but I, I just do the face palm every time I hear it. I was like, oh my. Yeah, I would, I would be hurt by it if it wasn't the truth. <laughs> so <laughs> I am the smallest of us three boys. So, I mean, it's true. I am the runt of the litter. And I'm the oldest, which makes it even worse. Like at one point <laughs> I was the big brother, but now I like, look at any picture of us where the three of us are in it. They make me look so small. It's crazy. <laughs> and I'm not a small guy. I'm six, four, 300 pounds. And they make me look like I'm like five, five. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, do you follow Sidious Mag at all? Or do you follow their content yeah, or anything? Yeah. Yeah. They did. They give you a nice little shout out to Otterdahl family um oh nice yeah so they're saying you know like Peyton not at all and like he has he threw it with his brother and then they're like but wait there's more and they all like freaked out like what and went through it so i thought that was pretty cool i don't um, think i've seen that one yet i'm gonna have to go check that out yeah that was on their podcast so you'll have to run it back and listen uh -huh, to it. It okay towards the end but it was it was pretty cool nice yeah that is cool okay we've talked about your brothers but tell us about you man uh you finally got over your travel woes and made it to eugene tell us a little bit about leading up to the competition like did your shakeout feel good before the meet did you feel good what was the lead up and then talk us through the meet yeah i mean i was leading up to it i was pretty excited like obviously nervous because i knew it was going to take a lot to make the team but still like confident that if i just execute my technique that i've been working on there's been some small changes but changes nonetheless uh, in the last few weeks that have been definitely for the better in my training. So I hadn't had an opportunity yet to use them in a meet and it's been working in training. I mean, I had a really good throws day last Tuesday before USA's um, probably my most consistent day ever throwing far distances with the, the standard training ball or the competition weight. Um, although, you know, lots of far throws in training, gave me a pretty sore tricep all of last week so i only threw twice last week when normally i'll throw about three times before meet uh so i only threw two times and i was going to plan on throwing the day before in my pre-meet shakeout but you know it's still feeling a little bit sore at the time i opted not to i opted just to do circle work work on the new cues that i've been doing and just have a fresh arm going into the meet and that ended up working out really well um for the meet it was it was a little different having such a huge flight in years past it was always two flights of nine but now they did one flight of 16 so wow. it's a little slower between throws but that's not necessarily a bad thing and um the first my warm-ups were really good really solid i was feeling confident i got a good throw out on my first attempt um, that I was fairly confident should be able to make the team, but I would definitely didn't lower my guard 
because I knew that, you know, with, with men's shot put in the U.S., those guys are crazy. So any one of them could pop off something huge. So I knew that I definitely couldn't, like, take my foot off the gas. And second throw was fortunate enough to get out a new PB, although I didn't know it was a PB at first. It looked like it was around the first throw, but like I was obviously, obviously we're always hoping for something more. I was hoping that I would see something that was noticeably further, but it was around the same, but it ended up being a new PB and first time over 22 and I was happy. Third attempt, another really good solid mark. The third one actually felt like my best throw, but it was uh, just a little shorter than my first one. Still a great throw. And then I went from being the third thrower out of 16 to now being the second to last and final. So there was a very big gap between my third and fourth throw. And I think I just kind of lost my mojo. It didn't help that uh, Josh Awatunde popped off a massive 2210, yeah. passed me by one centimeter. So I knew I had to chase a little bit. And I think I just started trying too hard and just lost a little bit of the mojo with the time between the third and fourth throws that I didn't really put together anything too great in the, in the final, but very happy nonetheless to, to make that team going to go to Budapest and, and rep um, feeling a lot more confident this time around. Uh, when I made the Olympic team in 2019, it was, I mean, I was hoping to throw well there, but I was not expecting to throw a PB and make the team. So at, at Tokyo, I was almost just happy to be on the team. But this year around, I'm not really satisfied with just making a team. I'd like to go to Budapest and, and do some damage. So uh, that's the hope. Just staying healthy, continuing to work on the new cues, and trying to put together something really nice over in Budapest. Aiden, do you ever wish, I mean, you seem like a very like consistent thrower. I feel like when I've watched you this season, not many fouls and a lot of marks kind of around the the same distance. Do you ever wish the shot put had some sort of like average best throws or, or some way to like reward consistency or lack of fouls? Yeah, I mean... There's definitely rewards out there for consistency. Meet directors, they're wanting guys that will consistently put out, you know, good marks. So it helps to get me into meets. But consistency is kind of the first thing before there's like a really nice, like, you know, jump before the next sure. uh, performance. So I'm hoping that my jump will be coming soon. Um, I'd say that I'm due for one. I keep PRing by like really small increments, just like. I don't know, like nine centimeters here, 10 centimeters there. Like I'm, I'm hoping that there'll be like a nice 30 centimeter jump yeah. sometime soon. And, uh, I've got a nice, I'm going over to Europe actually on Thursday. I've got a string of meets to do over there and then worlds after that. So I've got some good opportunities, hopefully to have a, a jump, but we'll yeah. see. I mean, I'm not going to complain about consistency because that means that I'm doing something right. Yeah. What, what meets will you be uh, competing in uh, before Worlds? So far, I'm confirmed for the Silesia Diamond League in Poland. Um, there's a gold-level Budapest meet. I can't remember the name of that one. That's a few days after that. Uh, there's a meet in Slovakia that I'm confirmed for. And then at the moment, I'm confirmed for a meet in Madrid, but I'm working on getting into the London Diamond League. So nice. I'll drop Madrid for London if I'm able to get into that one. But as of now, I am not. And so, uh, what, 
Go ahead, Ryan. No, you go for it. Well, I was just gonna. I I always see the distance runners. They say stay in Switzerland. They say in Saint Moritz. Uh, what's your? Uh, where do you base from when you when you're going to Europe? Uh, I haven't really been there that many times to have a base. I feel like I'm never there like long enough to really just like be in one place for long. Like my neck, my trip that's coming up is it's nine or ten days. And it's four meets, so wow. I won't be anywhere for very long enough to have a base. Um, but I do know that, yeah, Switzerland is definitely a place, and Belgium is a place that a lot mm. of throwers, if they're spending a really long extended time there, they'll go there and do a training camp. Uh, hopefully someday I'll be able to do one of those, but uh, it's going to be pretty busy, I think, for the rest yeah. of the year while I'm there. You're telling me like you don't have a Croatian family that adopts you for two weeks out of the year and like you guys exchange Christmas cards or anything like that? <laughs> not yet. I might. Uh, I haven't even told him this yet, but we'll see if he watches the podcast or not. Uh, when my season ends in Europe, I might try to switch a flight and go see Christopher up in uh, Denmark because I've yeah. never been there and I haven't seen him in a while. So I'd love to go have him show me around there. Yeah, that would be awesome. That'd be really awesome. Uh Okay, so 22 meters, you've hit the mark. Now, in my very limited shot put throwing as a multi, it was like if you hit 40 feet for the first time, it was like you were never not going to throw 40 feet. It just felt like, you know, once you hit it, that was the the new standard. Is that the same with 22 meters? Well, shoot, I hope that I continue hitting it. Hopefully, uh, now that I've hit it once, it'll be a little easier to keep hitting it. Um but that's like the the magic number for shot put. Twenty two is you know you're you're truly elite in the shot put world. That's the number that every shot putter wants to see come up. Um, and now it's crazy to think that the next meter distance is twenty three meters, which only four guys have ever hit. So uh, that's like you know legendary god shot putter status up there. Yeah. So I guess I'll just keep chugging away at my my nine to 10 centimeter PRs until hopefully someday I'll be up there, but we'll see. Uh, so have you gotten any information on Budapest yet? As far as like room assignments, travel, anything like that, you went through processing at the championships, but any confirmed itinerary at all? No, not really. I mean, I know when I'm going there and uh, I don't even know when I'm leaving yet. That's still kind of an asterisk. I might stay over there in Europe and just finish my season because that's where the rest of the meets are uh, in early September. So might just stay over there. I'll have a place to train in Budapest. I'll have food, I'll have accommodations. So I'll just after because we're uh, shot put or men's shot put is the first day. It's the nineteenth. So after that, I'll be done with with competing at Worlds, and I'll be able to, you know, hopefully watch other events and cheer on, and and while I'm there, still be able to train and get ready for the last few meets of the season. What's uh what's Peyton Otterdahl's favorite event that's not the shot put to watch? Uh 110 hurdles. Yeah. Yeah, I love the 110 hurdles. You know, it's it's got all the speed and excitement of the hundred meter, but you know, the added excitement of they gotta jump over something. And uh I I roomed with Devin Allen at the Olympics, so we became good friends. So I love the hundred tens ever since the Olympics, like Watching him, Grant Holloway, Daniel Roberts, those guys are just freaks. So I love the 110s. I also like the 400 meter. That's also one of my favorites because it's just like, 
I just know what a grueling sprint that one is. So, I mean, I've never ran a 400 meter myself, but <laughs> it looks tough. So that's, that's one of my other favorites. Yeah. Now, there was that viral clip from NCAA championships a few years ago. It was at the interview like panel ahead of time. And you had answered a question about how much you eat and Grant Holloway looked at you just as if you were from a different planet. And then you guys were like besties after that. Are you guys still, <laughs> you still pretty good friends? Yeah. Yeah. Every time I see him, I say, Hey, it meets, but you know, he's, he's on another level right now. So he's, he's a busy man. So I don't see him too often enough, but if I ever do passing, I say, Hey to him and ask him how he's been. Nice. So my last question, then I'll turn it over to Cam. So Joshua Tunde, Kovacs, Krauser, if you had to room with one of those guys, who would you room with? And then anyone else on team USA, if you had your choice, who do you want as your roommate? Mm. Um, I would go probably say Ryan. I've roomed with him before and, you know, we're good friends. So I went over in March and we did a training camp down in Arkansas and trained with him. So, uh, we're good friends. I wouldn't mind rooming with him. Most importantly, I know he doesn't snore that much. So <laughs> that's the most important thing. Like I have no problems rooming with Tunde and I'd want to room with him, but, uh, Tunde snores and I'm uh, sorry, Tunde, if you happen to see this, like, it's just how it is, you know? <laughs> so I just, I don't care who I room with really. I don't really spend a lot of time in my room. I just don't want somebody who snores because I'm a super light sleeper. Simple, simple man. I suppose if it's a non, non thrower to room with, I don't even know really. There's so many new people that make every team this year. Like I don't have any people that I'm good friends with yet that, are non-throwers i could list off probably any of the throwers that'll make the team and i had no problem rooming with them because that it's weird like i feel like who's on the team for throws doesn't change a ton over the years like if you're a good thrower you can stay a good thrower yeah but man there's just so much unbelievable talent in the sprints and the in the running events that i feel like Obviously, the really dominant ones stay around, but uh, who's on the roster changes quite a lot. So I'm looking forward to making new friends while I'm out there, and maybe I'll have a new answer for you after Budapest. But as of right now, I'm not really sure. I say I say put the Minnesota boys together, uh, Peyton Otterdahl and Joe Klecker. Yeah, I'd be all right with that. Yeah, there you go. Peyton, Probably have a oh, lot more to talk about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if... Uh, I'm sure people, if anybody follows you on Instagram, they know you got, you love, you love animals. Uh, what's the, what's the audit all animal count up to now? Oh, it's actually gone down a little bit, but, um, you can hear the neighbor dogs barking right now, <laughs> but, uh, I have as of right now, seven snakes, four geckos, that's actually it right now. Uh, I'm trying to downsize still. I'm okay. trying to downsize to just two geckos. Um, but I, I, a few weeks ago, because I've been just traveling like crazy for all these meets, I just feel like I don't have the time, especially for a lot of the non-snakes, because they need to eat a little bit more frequently. Mm -hmm. So the snakes only need to eat once a week. So it actually is perfect for me to be traveling and still taking care of them just fine. And they prefer it if I left them alone anyway. So, uh, the snakes, yeah, I'm keeping, I'm going to try to stay at seven for now. I might have to reevaluate soon, 
but trying to cut down to just two geckos because they need to eat a little bit more. But I did rehome my lizard, my frog, and my uh, one of my other snakes. So, yeah, so, I've been able to cut down a little bit. Uh, so at max, it was eight snakes, four geckos, a lizard, a frog, and a dog. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Maddie doesn't mind taking care of Doobie. But yeah. <laughs> uh, she's not the biggest fan about taking care of uh, the reptiles and stuff. She doesn't mind the geckos. She's not a fan of the snakes, but luckily she doesn't have to do too much for them. Yeah. When I'm gone in Europe, I think she just needs to feed the three smallest ones while I'm gone, which is not too hard. Is it just like frozen rats? Or uh... Yeah, yeah. I have wow. a, a dedicated little mini freezer in the basement that's just for their food. And, um, yeah, it's just frozen rats. So you just Man. put them in a little plastic bag and then let them thaw out on the counter and then they're ready to be fed. So she'll just have to feed the three smallest ones because they're, they're babies. So they got to eat a little bit more frequently, but she doesn't have a problem with them. She just doesn't like the, the feeding the bigger snakes. Yeah. How did, how did you get into reptiles i can probably blame my parents for that when i was a kid we had cabins in northern minnesota and wisconsin and when we'd go over there they pretty much gave us a lot of free time like whatever we wanted to do we could whether that was swimming or fishing hiking around well what i like to do was just walk in the woods flip over logs and rocks and just see what was living under there and There'd be snakes and salamanders and frogs and toads. And we'd go out there almost every weekend in the summers and I'd put them in a bucket or like try to make a little enclosure for them, try to make it nice for them, even though I had like no idea what I was doing back yeah. then. <laughs> and when the weekend would end, I would tearfully release them back all. And then the next weekend, try to find them again and wow. catch some new ones. So yeah, my parents just really encouraged me to do that. They took us to the zoo quite a lot when we were younger, and they just fed into my my love for animals. And I don't know why I like the reptiles. I think it's just because they're easy. They're, they're very low maintenance. Like a dog, I, I love my dog. He's my favorite of all my pets, but he requires a little bit more emotional care on top of just like, you know, uh, just feeding him, taking him outside. He needs exercise. The snakes, they want to be left alone yeah. and that's fine with how I travel. So, yeah. and they don't need too much care. Like even the geckos, like, even though they need to be fed more, they really only need to be fed about two to three times a week. Uh, and they like to be left alone too. So yeah. it's, it's just easy, I guess. That's cool. Well, Peyton, we know you probably have a few thousand calories to go eat. Uh, you got <laughs> all sorts of things to get done in your week uh, heading up to Europe. But thank you so much for taking some time for us and just updating the listeners on what the last year's looked like. It's pretty amazing that you're back with a USA jersey and we couldn't be more excited to see it. So congrats. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on again, Ryan and Cam. I appreciate being on your show. I always love seeing the content that you guys put out. So hopefully I'll be on again after Budapest and we'll have more to talk about. Sounds like a plan, man. All right. Good luck in the next few weeks. Thanks. Take care, guys.